0: Welcome to Tales from the Hook. My name is Katie Kelleher, aka Katie Cranes, and I am going to be your host for the next half an hour. In this podcast, I'm going to be deep diving into the construction industry. I'm going to be looking into topics such as skills, apprenticeships, some interesting life journeys, and everything in between. Who knows what may happen? This podcast has been very kindly sponsored by our friends over at Libra. If you want to find out more about Libra's products or brilliant innovations, please click the link at the bottom. So on today's Tales from the Hook, we have the pleasure of having Andy Mitchell with us, a man whose career in engineering has taken him all around the world, places such as France, South Africa, Hong Kong, a man who has since 1981 has worked in construction, working his way up from field engineer to more recently program director and CEO. Working in recent years on some of the most influential and largest infrastructure projects, changing London for the better. A fellow of both the Royal Academy of Engineering and the Institution of Civil Engineering. He is also chaired on some of construction's most influential boards and was most recently honored with a CBE free services to civil engineering. Welcome Andy, thank you for coming on.
1: Uh, Hi Katie, thank you very much for having me here. Really looking forward to, to having a chat.
0: Thank you, thank you. I hope that intro was okay. I did a little bit of research.
1: Well, you, you clearly did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was uh, that was uh, pretty accurate, actually. Well done, thank you.
0: Good movement for me. So what I want to find out with you, Andy, is I know, obviously I mentioned you've been working in construction since 1981, so a, a couple of years. Um, where did it start for you? What, what got you interested? I mean, I, I did do a little bit of background here now, and I, I believe it was around the age of 16 that you were looking to get into construction
1: no and wow you have done your research yeah so that was uh i was doing my o levels i see i wasn't much good at the the english and histories and things i seemed to do better at the math and chemistry and physics and things and so i was sort of leaning in that di- sort of direction um, but <laughs> a guy moved in I, I come from st agnes in in cornwall um and a guy moved in over the road who was working on the devonport dockyards uh, back in the 70s um and he was a civil engineer and um your dad had got talking to him and and i've been talking about what i was thinking and dad said well go over and talk to this chap I, i've forgotten his name um and he was very good and he took me up one weekend and took me around the dockyards and it was just a massive concrete project you know big excavations big docks and everything and, and i've got to say from that point on I thought, wow this looks fun i, I want to I want to have a go at that, and so that really then said took me straight to bypassing all the careers counselling at school. I want to be a civil engineer, um, so I'm trying to go do a degree, and it it all started from there. Um, I guess if you go back even further, the only prize I ever won at school when I was eight years old um, was for endeavour, which meant actually paying attention for once. Um, but I got a book token and I could get, I went to the local village um, bookshop and the book I got was the Lady Bird book of road building. Oh, brilliant. Um, so I guess maybe that was in my, in my bones already when I was eight. But, um, yeah, well, and that then took me to, yeah, starting the university training.
0: So with your university training, I mean, we spoke on this briefly before. I think, did you do an apprenticeship at university, Andy, or did you
1: no it was, uh, it was back then we uh, it was a straight three-year uh, degree um, no no sandwiches no apprenticeship no no nothing which meant you came out pretty intensely educated but damn near useless um, practically <laughs> um, which I soon found out um, when, when I started on site and realized that uh, I, uh, I knew lots and I knew nothing.
0: Do you do you think you would have fared better with a friendship? Just out of interest, just uh
1: a... I, I I genuinely think that uh, were I to go through that again, I, I I'm, I'm I'm well. It's kind of hard to do a three year course anywhere. They tend to be four year masters. But why would you want to rack up the sorts of debts that you both of my children have racked up doing doing their straight degrees. Um, when fundamentally, what you know, what we're doing in construction, it is a practical uh, application. Why wouldn't you want to uh, mix that with with practical training as well? And and I, I just think the the apprenticeship uh, schemes leading to degrees or whatever they take you to these days are are so much better option yeah. than than simply going and studying for three years. It, it, yeah, much much better now than it than it ever was. I think.
0: I always I always wish that I knew about apprenticeships when I was uh, doing my university course. I think I said that to you before when I chose English literature and I didn't know anything about it and I I'm, I'm very pro apprenticeship. Degree or non-degree, I think it's a really good way to go. Um but with your civil engineering studies that you did, I noticed when you went to work, you traveled around quite a bit. How how did well, that I- happen?
1: So, you know, the way I saw it, I, I like being outside. Uh, I like building things and the idea of building things, and I always wanted to travel. And I, and that's again why this sort of getting into construction civil engineering really made sense, because you could do all of those. Um, so, um, yeah, when, when I finished um, university, and it's gotta be said, I got the worst possible degree I could have got without failing. <laughs> um, which says something about my application, um, really. At that age, certainly. Um, yeah, I, the the things that I looked at, the things that I applied for, were were all uh, routes to taking me overseas. And so, within nine months of uh, starting work, uh, I was in Abu Dhabi.
0: I think that's fascinating. I think it's. Uh, and then you I noticed you went to France, and you went to Hong Kong as well.
1: Yeah, you know so uh, yeah Abu Dhabi for years that was an LNG LPG storage facility being built on a place called Das Island which is offshore Abu Dhabi. It, it's kind of like an oil uh, oil refinery but on an island. Um very strange place 11 weeks on 2 weeks off so quite you know refinery like uh, uh, offshore like really. Um but from there I uh, did my design training um on steel structures mostly welding and things like that i was um in uh in dunkirk in france uh because the company i was working for had a factory there an office there Uh, and then from there to south africa um for another year um at which point um concluded it was probably time to come back home so i did Mm -hmm. and actually i thought i thought it'd be easy to get a job so we're now in 1986 i think and I came back because my mum had died and my dad was remarrying and I wanted to do, go to the wedding. I thought, fine, I'll do that in the early summer, then I'll get a job. And uh, and that turned out not to be so easy, so I pushed a wheelbarrow for a blacktop gang for uh, nine <laughs> months um, while I was trying to find a, a job, a different job. Uh, and I've got to say, that was, a, that, that was an eye-opener as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Learning curve. It, it was. I mean, I was young and fit and quite happy to you know, to get stuck in um but again i, I you know i think in, in in the same as the the training i got when i was in the in the middle east i i learned to weld badly and certainly not um any production welding but i was allowed to do temporary works and tacking and things like that and and, and gouge and grind and you know you work very much as part of a gang um which is what i found myself doing uh pushing a wheelbarrow and shoveling and uh i think it's quite uh it's quite helpful it's quite great as I say yeah. great to to just realize what uh, the, the the people that are working on sites actually have to deal with and put up with and um and I think all of that was really quite helpful and it, I think I hope it's that's given me an appreciation of, of what people have to deal with.
0: I I believe it has. I mean anyone that I've ever heard speak about you has only ever spoken about you fondly and that's that's from the ground upwards so I I would say it's probably given you a very good appreciation for what goes on um throughout the sites
1: Yeah no well I'm I'm it's it's lovely to hear that and but it, you know sh- you know when people talk about it, you hear people in other industries say that we're a people business. would well, show me a show me a business that isn't a people business. It's all about people. Mm-hmm. don't matter what you're doing and and uh, i I just think if you start from from that point and recognize that we are all in this together and we do have to look after each other and support each other and And if that's your starting point, then I think it it makes things a lot easier to see. And it makes the way you think and the decisions that you make, it, they're always grounded in a sense of humanity and care, um, which which I genuinely think is you know, where things have to start.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So, I mean, your journey from engineer to program director to CEO is quite an inspiring one, I would say, and one that... Probably many people in construction would would like to think they can do, but it's. I don't think many people would know how to get there and how that happened for you.
1: No, and, and well, it it was an accident, I, I, <laughs> I, as in a, a freak or whatever. I I never, I was never brought up to believe I was going to be a, a something or a, or a CEO. I, you know, I went to not school down in Cornwall, but certainly uh, university in London. I went to uni with people who had been told by their parents they were going to be CEOs, they were going to be oh, captains yeah. of industry, and I and I had none of that. You know, my my mum who was a nurse and had MS all the time. I knew her. And my dad was an ambulance man. I, I wasn't. I wasn't brought up with high ambition, um, so it it was sort of for me it was a series of steps. Uh, I remember thinking in my late twenties. You know, but then I'd started to watch some people leading and and directing and managing, uh, and I saw good things and I saw a lot of bad things, and and I started to dawn on me. You know what? I don't think I'm. I I don't think I'd be as bad as that. <laughs> <Or> <laughs> I think I could be. I could be better than that. I could, I could do that better, and maybe, maybe I have a chance uh, of yeah. doing something bigger and higher, and. Um, but I, I, that didn't really dawn on me until I was about 30. And, you know, if I could, the advice I would give myself if I could go back was to believe in myself earlier. You know, I've been crap at school. I got a crap degree. Um, and, and I hadn't really had any expectations of uh, be, being much. But, um, yeah, if I'd if I knew then what I know now, I, I would have believed in myself earlier
0: yeah uh, and, who,
1: and who knows my, what might have happened but yeah but it, it so by the by my late 20s early 30s with perhaps a greater confidence and a sense of you know what i why don't i try that that looks interesting um it never part of a plan but i think after a while I, i'd look at something that might 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 have come up and think well yeah, why could I? Would I like to do that? Could I have a go at that? Well, why not? Throw your hat in the ring, and and that's kind of what's happened all the way through, and it's what got me to this this CEO role that I'm now in.
0: I think that's fantastic, and I think that's really inspiring for a lot of people. It's it, it, especially me because, um, like I say, I didn't do very good at university, and I just didn't enjoy it. And ever since then, I've I've kind of I call it winging it. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I and I do, and I, I I'm a great believer that you should say yes and and try these things, which is how I've ended up doing most of the things that I do. And it, it's I think it's great to hear from someone in your standing that you've done exactly the same thing throughout your life to get where you've got.
1: No, it's on my wall at home. I, you know, I've forgotten which project it was. I left one one of the ones in this country. um Three or four projects ago, I suppose, um, signed photograph of all the team and comments written around the frame, and one of them was uh, to Andy, the best winger since Stanley Matthews. Which I thought was a bit unfair, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's. I think it's fantastic. Um, so now you're the CEO of Tideway. Uh, I, I'm very passionate about the Tideway projects. We know I worked on there for a short spell as a crane operator, and. I loved what you guys do and your ethos and how you work and that whole piece about legacy. But for people outside of London I've noticed that they don't really know what Tideway is and they don't really understand what we're doing here. So can you explain that?
1: Yeah, I will. Um very briefly. Um <laughs> The something like 60 times a year, uh, the existing London sewer system can't cope with the volumes that it's dealing with. It does exactly what it was designed to do, which is uh, spill the, the sewage into the river. The, you know, the sewage is either going to end up in the streets or, or in the river, and the system's been designed that it goes to the river. And when that didn't happen a lot, when there are a lot less people in London, you, know, you, you can understand how that came about. But... Um, When the system was built, there were 2 million people in London, the river was foul. people were dying of cholera and typhoid and and the river stank. Um, uh, The new system was built by Sir Joseph Bazalgette, we think he had 4 million people in mind, typical Victorians of the 1850s, typical Victorian thing, okay, let's assume the city's going to double in size, which, which I don't know that people would think that way these days. So, so he built what he built, and, and or they built what they built um, for 4 million people, but there's 9 million people in London, um, and there's a lot more concrete, a lot more roads, a lot less runoff for the rain, and it, therefore the rain ends up in the sewers. They get fuller quicker, and they spill into the river more often, such that that means about 60 times a year, something like 40 million tons of untreated sewage going into the tidal Thames. What we're here to do is stop that by building a... Thumping Great Pipe, uh, a new sewer um, uh, under the Thames for 25 kilometers. So we we intercept these spill points that come out of the river walls. We capture that, we drop it down multiple shafts up and down the river, feed it all to the, the big tunnel, uh, which takes it off down to Beckton Sewage Treatment Works where it can be dealt with. And fundamentally, we think that will reduce the volume of spills of, of sewage into the river by about 95%. But more important or even more than that i guess um because what gets flushed into the river initially with the current system is is, um near pure sewage undiluted sewage ultimately our our pipe can fill up too but uh, for it to fill up it will have been lashing down with rain in london for you know 24 hours plus so that what's in the sewers then that we ultimately would have to spill back into the river is much more diluted um so 95% of the volume uh, captured but probably 98 99% of the volume of sewage is is captured and and not going into the river and what would end up going back into the river is much more diluted as well so it's a fundamental change to how the river is being treated we think the river will be cleaner and healthier than it's been in 250 years um and that's quite a big uh, quite a big deal so a lot of tunneling, a lot of shaft building, as you know, uh, you, you've lowered quite a yeah. few down the shaft at Blackfriars. Um, we're seven years in; we're about eighty-five percent complete. Uh, we've got about another eighteen months to go, and then we start cleaning up the river. And uh, you know, and that's that's uh, what we came for, and it's really really exciting, and and it's getting closer.
0: I think it'll be amazing to see what happens years down the line. And in terms of, I mean, you've worked on the project for eight years currently. I want to say so how do you feel about the legacy you will leave behind for london and bearing in mind how long this will serve london for i always talk about legacy as well and the things we build
1: it, you know this is probably the easiest job i've ever worked on to fall in love with there, there, there is nothing not to like about what we're doing it's clearly good for the river and the environment We've thought long, and, and 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 we're leaving behind, you know, best part of three acres of New London. You don't often get a chance to create new land anywhere. Uh, so at Blackfriars, where where that you know well, uh, but at uh, six other sites up and down the river, there's new spaces, and we've put a lot of thought and care into what they look like and how people interact with them. So we've got the the sort of physical legacy. Uh, of the new spaces we've got the physical legacy of the cleaned river but we've also tried to understand well what else can we do and and that mostly has been about how we go about things rather than what it is we actually do Uh, and that goes you know starts with you know how how we've worked with our neighbors and and tried to be as as sympathetic uh, as we can because you know it's a big construction site next door, yeah. right? That's not understandable. But actually, what can we do to help them? What can we do to work with the schools in the area? What can we do with apprenticeships? What can we do with people with convictions? What are the opportunities that we've had? And the beauty for me of, of Tideway is that we had a clean sheet of paper. We weren't an existing company, not a railway operator or, or existing water operator. And we could be anything we wanted to be. So the questions we asked ourselves eight years ago is, okay, what kind of company do we want to be? What what, what do we want it to feel like as we um, work and do this thing? And, and and time and time again, we kept coming back to, well, if you could be anything you could be, why would you want to be crap? Why, why wouldn't you want to be the, as best as you could be? And so why don't we just shoot the lights out on everything that we think is important and and that's sort of underwritten how, how, how we've gone about all the things we've done. And, um, And I think there's a big legacy piece. You know, we've looked at the skills on the river and the training of the the barge operators and all sorts of new facilities and simulate virtual Thames simulators and all the things that we've done. But I think a legacy that um, is is of a different sort is that there, as you know, the epic uh, one day safety training that we do, you know, I'm, I'm still going there. Probably once every fortnight, and doing the halftime talk about what we what we're trying to do for people and with people, and what we need from them. Twenty two thousand people have been through that now. Wow! That's, that's um, and most of them have worked on Tideway. Some were guests yeah. from projects and whatever, but that's twenty two thousand people that we've been able to touch in some way, and 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 most of those have spent time on on Tideway. And, and I hope that one of the things that many many people will take with them is you know what it can be like this people can behave in a human way people can uh have a culture of caring and support and and um and i would argue that um there's a there's a lot of sort of unseen legacy that will sort of ripple through the industry as people move on to different places and um and and if what some people do is reflect on yeah that that was a good place and fine it wasn't perfect and i would do this but i, I hope we've set a new a new benchmark or a, or a new set of challenges for people um that that they can build on and go and do do things even better so it, it's always been important it stemmed from the fact that we had choices of what we wanted to be and we just d- decided to try and be really good
0: I, I think I think you succeeded. I think everyone that I met who works at Tideway and deals with Tideway absolutely loves everything about the project, and it's it's quite rare that people buy into something that much. They buy into changing London to that kind of feel good factor about what you're doing, and and I think you guys have nailed that. And even when I go to the offices, everyone's so lovely, and everyone's so. I don't know. It's a real team effort from from the from the ground up, from the top down. It's a complete team at Tideway, which I haven't seen anywhere else. It really does work a little bit differently, which is my experience. It's funny you brought up the epic because that was brought up on my podcast number two with Steve, who he'd recently been on it, and um, we were talking about how different it was. And then I mean, it was years ago since I did mine, but. It was such a hard hitting experience. When you work in construction, you don't always realize the impacts you hear about incidents and accidents and things that can happen. But when things really go wrong, you don't sometimes realize what can happen.
1: So I've, I've, apart from talking at Epic, I don't know, 20, 30 times a year for seven years, Um I've, I've done the course four times because we've changed the storyline and think, well, if we're going to talk to people about what they've just gone through, we need to have done it again. You know, and, and some of those scenes I still choke up at. I know exactly what's going to come, but I still stand there barely able to speak. Um yeah. but That was part of what we wanted to achieve, it, you know, a... a uh, a memorable moment and one that we reflect on and and the point we keep making is you know if you're seeing things that you don't like you just have to say stop and no matter how important it is no matter how important a river cleaner than for 250 years no, all of that's wonderful but as we keep saying nothing is that important that we can't do it safely and, and quite simply we do it safely or not at all and we've all got to to help each other because you know, we're all human beings. We all get things wrong. We all make mistakes, and that's when we need the person next to us to say whoa. or the person watching us say, "Hang on a minute, what are you doing? That doesn't look right." And and it, yeah, it's it's an emotional start of a and you know a journey on sideway. But I I just think it's a that's part of the you know, it's part of the deal. You know, we're, we're here to care for each other, and and you know the whole mental health thing as well. I've always thought it's odd. It's it's not really convincing to say, look, I care about your physical health, but I don't care about your mental health. You know, I either care about you or I don't. You wouldn't say that about your family and friends, would you? That yeah, I don't want to break a leg, but I don't give a damn about the mental health. Yeah, yeah. And so you either mean it or you don't. And if you mean it, then you you it's it's the whole it's the whole wrap. Um, and and therefore you've got to understand. Well, what are you going to do to to help people with with their mental health as well? And you know as you know I'm, I'm a, a mental health first aider the same as 170 180 other people on on or all the way through the organization i just think it's part of the part of the culture it's it, it 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 all it's all part of the same picture
0: yeah absolutely and i think it's like you say i think it is a legacy that people will take onto other sites with them and i think it will force people to do better you don't go backwards from this you move forwards
1: yeah and, and Yeah, we'd be the last, right, I'd certainly be the last to say that, you know, anything we've done is perfect and nothing ever is. But if part of what we've done and we're doing is setting up a different standard or raising the bar, well, great. And, you know, the thing I'd love to see most is people taking some of the things we've done and then doing them way, way better. That would be great.
0: Be interesting to see what the future brings. I have a little Tideway question here for you. Now, I was wondering, bearing in mind how much of London you've dug up, and I know you found some interesting artifacts and different things, but what was the most interesting thing that was found while doing this?
1: So, um, <coughs> one of the things that intrigued me the most was the fact that we had a Saxon fish trap that we believe to be uh, on one of our sites and an awful lot of very careful digging around allowed us to find a few pieces of wood that the experts said was indeed a Saxon fish trap. And, and, and that, you know, a lovely little detail, but <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt, the thing that has got the most publicity out of all the things we've dug up was a pair of leather trousers. <laughs> that belonged to some tradesperson of I don't know several hundred years ago, but it's a thing that went went down a lot on the tele, television, social media around the world. I was getting people in Australia uh, sending me texts about uh, you know leather trousers and all the all the connotations <laughs> that people had in their minds of that. But um, you know, uh, unlike uh, a crossroad where. A lot of the you know, the crossroad excavations were in places where people lived. An awful lot of what we've excavated into um wasn't you know, was part of the river. You know, the river's got narrower over the last few hundred years. So we're we're digging mostly in, in a space that up until a few hundred years ago was river. So therefore there were no foundations, there were no human artifacts and things like that. So we found less than you would if you were digging a hole almost anywhere else in 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 london
0: that's interesting I, I i didn't even think of it like that i remember when they were um doing Blackfriars and they were moving the fish out and I, it was just really fascinating to me that these fish were even in there in the in the river thames um andy now i know you're a great advocate for women and diversity in construction And obviously you've worked in the industry for a number of years. How do you feel things are changing and pushing forward?
1: Well, I, I, you know, the the first statement has got to be, well, not fast enough. Um, You know, and and you take the sort of stats of if things in in my career, the 40 years, if we make uh, the same amount of progress, whether that's in percentages or, or of whether that's gender diversity or almost any other statistic. It would take us, you know, I've done, done sort of back of fag packet sums. It's going to take us another 300 years to get to a point where we would have something that looked representative of society, and clearly that isn't good enough. But I do think things are moving quicker than they ever have before. Um, and, and I think, the you know, the industry's got... Uh, much more work to do on ad- advertising itself. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, younger people, who care passionately about the environment and what we're doing to it and what we've got to do to do a better job for it. And inevitably, a lot of those answers are in what we build and how we build it. And so, I, I you know, there's a... I think more than ever before, there's a a, a greater... Um, attraction of the industry for people if we only presented it the right way and we've got to stop selling it the way it was sold to... Well, it didn't need selling to me. I love the idea, but blokes in welly boots uh, in the middle of fields is kind of the image that people had 40 years ago. Now, that isn't how we're selling ourselves now, Um, but I think there's a lot more to do but I also think the attitudes and the cultures of, you know, the sort of the, the hard men of construction, you know, that doesn't feel that way to me anymore. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure um, that that's not universal. But yeah, we're in a different place where I think we recognize that um you know, if, if we want to build good infrastructure, we the people that build infrastructure should be representative of the society they build it for. The example I heard was a, a a golf course that was being built where you needed a golfing handicap to work on it at all, whether that was as a designer or any form of constructor. Uh, they were looking for golfers. And and their logic was, even if you were doing the the design or the drainage or cutting the grass or planting the trees, if you, you had an understanding of golf, you better, you'd likely come up with a better product, i.e. the people that built it needed to represent the users. Now, we're talking about infrastructure for the public. So logic, that same logic would say, well, then we better represent the public that we're building this for, which means we need the same diversity levels that the general population has and it, it, you kind of look at it in that practical sense and you think well there's no other answer is there it's not about a target of 20 take the gender piece it's not about a target of 20% or 30% it's it's 49 51 or whatever the, yeah. the population thing is but the same for uh any other element of uh, of diversity it, we've there's no logic and no argument for it being anything else and and we've got to um keep on pushing harder and harder but i it's getting better it looks it looks better um than it ever has uh and i think what we've all got to do is keep um reminding ourselves and everyone else why that's important
0: absolutely and i i think projects like tideway have, have led the way on making these changes and and pushing them forward, and I, th- I think you you've you've had a good hand in that.
1: Mm. I, but it, it's <coughs> it's important, and and you got to you know with a lot of these things, you, you <laughs> you've got to be yourself, you've got to be authentic, and and once you realise what, yeah, you know, once I realise that the best thing I can do in terms of how, how do I be a good CEO or, you know, good whatever I've been doing, is um, that the first thing I've got to do is understand what the best me is um, and then have the courage to be that and have the courage to say that. Um, anyway, right at the very beginning of Tideways, my second day, someone asked me the question, what's your gender diversity, your, your target? Oh, what's a stupid bloody question, isn't it? <laughs> How can I say anything other than fifty fifty? <laughs> <laughs> I did actually mean it. Yes, I did. People say hey, I've got no idea, but that's where we're gonna gonna go. And you know, and we didn't achieve that on with the workforce as a whole of um and we never were going to. But Tideway um still employs we don't employ a hundred people now, but uh that the it's there's more than fifty percent women. We we got up to sixty four percent, I think or tied way but not in the way that i meant because the more junior positions the the a lot of the uh, admin positions more of those were were held by women and and not enough women in senior positions and, and and all of that so it wasn't it wasn't what i meant but it does show that you can you can change things if if you try
0: yeah, I think it's been amazing. So, Andy, in terms of Tideway, you said it's 85% done now?
1: hmm
0: What's next for you after Tideway?
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, we look, we've we got 18 more months and we should be cleaning up the river or starting to do it and prove the system works and all of that. And I think that'll probably take another year or two. Uh, look, by then I'll be 65. Do I, do I really want to do another full-time job at starting at the age of 65 no i don't think i do um i don't know is the answer it's easy now to say look i'm going to run for the hills and you know just disappear (laughs) and and i may do that for a while but probably that's not tenable in the longer term so i i don't know um i also think that there comes a point where the best thing you can do is just get out of the way and let somebody else get on with it you know i I found that with, with the construction leadership council that you know, we're dealing a lot of the time with the, all the challenges that the, that the pandemic had thrown at us, and that was very much a here and now, but in, now the CLC is looking to the future, and um, I just think that, that people leading the, that kind of effort and that kind of thinking, they ought to be talking about their future uh, and not somebody else's, and it's not my future. I'm, I'm not going to be working in this industry in 10 years or 20 years' time, and so I, I think it is i'd like to I'd like to understand what I could do to to continue to support people I do a lot of mentoring anyway and a, and I'm more than happy to do that um but yeah there does come a time where you, you just got to get out of the way and let the next lot have a go
0: we'll wait and see then
1: <laughs> we will
0: um so Andy I briefly touched on your c b e for services to civil engineering and I can imagine that was quite a moment for you but how did that really feel? I mean, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone else who has a CBA.
1: No, I, I look, I total surprise. Uh, I had no idea that that was going to happen until I got a letter. I thought it was a tax demand. To be <laughs> honest, it had a government stamp on it, and oh bloody hell! what have I forgotten? Um, look, I, 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 I'm not even sure I still understand. You it's it's a clearly a massive uh, honor, um, but I've always seen this as uh, as a collective honor, you know, it, being recognized for things that I've done, but but I've done those things with many, many other people, and, you know, and I've, you know, try, tried to thank anyone without running around saying i've got a cbe and thank you very much but you know whenever that discussion comes up I, I just just acutely aware that this is because of the efforts of many many people i happen to be one that was more prominent uh i um you know it's, it's humbling i think as as much as uh, anything else and um you know my, 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 both my parents had died um before that happened and um, you know I, I just wish they could have seen that
0: yeah I, th- I think it's I think it's amazing and I, it's funny you mention your parents because um, I got invited to Buckingham Palace for tea and the one person it meant the most to was my dad so I took my dad with me because it meant so much to him because it, you know he's he's sort of I guess he's of that era where the Queen means a hell of a lot to him and um it it just it just was one of those moments, and although I'm not awarded anything, it was just it was very nice to be able to share that with my dad oh, and having there. I,
1: yeah, he must have been thrilled to bits.
0: He absolutely loved it, and he always tells everyone. <laughs> I, I see, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit like you, and I get I get a little bit embarrassed about these things, and but he he says, oh, you know, we went to the palace. <laughs> Everyone, he tells everyone. But um, yeah, it was it was a really nice moment for me. So I can only imagine how much it meant for you to be honoured with something as nice as that. But Andy, I think we're kind of wrapping up now and I'm going to end on one question that I ask everyone who comes on. So if you had to choose one thing that we should all do to make the construction industry a better place for everyone, what would it be?
1: Wow. Um, you know, I it probably goes back to what I said at the beginning that this is all about people. And as long as we remember that, uh, it, we will quite simply make this a better industry and do a better job if we genuinely care about each other. Um, and that's it's not a case of just saying it, it's a case of meaning it. And uh, and I think the more we go about what we do with with humanity with respect um and, and genuine care it sounds all soft and fluffy but off that tremendous things are built and you know, we start from that point and i think we're in a good place
0: i think that's a fantastic answer and i want to thank you so much for coming on today it's um it's been a real pleasure listening to your story
1: well katie thank you so much uh for having me look forward to seeing you Soon. Oh, by the way, the the shaft at Blackfriars, the the cap was poured just last week.
0: Oh, amazing! It's um, it was one of them. It's, funny enough, the short time I worked there, Tideway, and I did Blackfriars, and I worked at Cromorne for a while. But it was one of them projects that I I still talk about in schools because young people are fascinated by it, and it's. I think like I said to you earlier everyone that's worked there is really proud to have played a part in cleaning up London to making it better for people and I think that's one of the best things for me about working in construction even when I worked on Crossrail and you know you only work on very small part of the project doing what I do but to leave something behind, so Tottenham Court Road Station and to be, be part of building a new sewer that changes the way people live forever, I just think it's amazing. But, yeah, I could go on forever. But thank you so much.
1: That, that's why we do what we do.
0: Thanks, Andy.
1: Yeah, no, thanks a lot, Katie. See you soon.